Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Molly Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Well, I um, love games. I'm a gamer. And one of my all-time favorite games is a game called Bananagrams. Has anyone played Bananagrams? We have some Bananagram fanagrams in the house. Okay. All right, well, Bananagrams is a word tile game where you get tiles and you make word grids um, in front of you with the tiles that you have with the letter tiles, and it's a race to use all your tiles first. And it's super fun, I love it, but often we play as a family, and um, when we play with Kevin, he usually wins, and after the game is over, we all go and like report our words, right, on our word grid. And almost every time Kevin has what the rest of us think is a questionable word, where we're like, really? Like, that's a real word? Like, Q-A-T? Really, Kevin? Like, he plays a lot of like, well, you used to play words with friends. And so he knows the Scrabble words, right? Which I think those are not real words. Like, X-I, you know, like, what does that mean? Like, we have no idea how to say it. We have no idea what it means. But sure enough, you look it up and it's a legit Scrabble word, Right. So, uh, so I think it's funny though, we're like, you don't know what that word means. Like you only know that word because of Scrabble, right? And I think sometimes, sometimes that we have what I call Christian bananagram words. We have words that, that, that they, yes, it is a real word. Those letters go together, the sounds go together. It makes a real word, but we only use that word in the context of church. Just like we would in the context of bananagrams, you only use that word to win the game. You only use that word on your table, game table in front of you. It doesn't ever really go out to your everyday life. You wouldn't ever, you wouldn't use that word as a part of your everyday experience. I think that we have some words that have made their way into like, again, our faith, our Christian experience, our Sunday morning services, and they just stay in that context. They just, it's just to stay in that game table in front of you, right? It doesn't really translate. We don't really know what it means or how to use it in our everyday life. Well, we're starting a new series this week that I'm excited about. And in this new series, um, it is kind of our back to school series, even though we're a little, a few weeks behind here. But, and we want to look at God, the author of these words, all words. And we want to know some of these, um, these maybe foundational faith words that we use in church, that we maybe see in the Bible, that we've heard someone maybe pray or refer to. We want to get into the depth of what these words actually mean so that they go from just the game table to our everyday life, that we can translate them, we can use them, we can live in them, we can see the, the design of God for them for our, our everyday experience, that abundant life that he has designed for us. So we're going to do a little Christian bananagrams, and I want to take some of these, these words of our, our faith, these foundational words and concepts, and I want us to, to really expose our hearts to the fullness of the meaning of these words. I don't want them just to get kind of lodged in our head. We, we, yeah, I know how to use that word in a sentence, but I don't really know what it means. I couldn't explain it to you in my life, right? And so we're going to look at things like glory and Sabbath and atonement and dig into those. But this week, I'm kicking things off with this vocab word, the word covenant, the word covenant. And you probably have heard this word uh, maybe in the context of communion time, where we refer to the scripture how Jesus, um, his blood is the cup of the new covenant. 
We heard him say that, right? And so we use that scripture a lot. Or maybe you think of covenant and you go right back to Sunday school days, to who? To Noah. And you picture Noah standing on dry ground with his ark parked next to him in the rainbow over, you know, the ark there. And we remember that God said to Noah, I'm going to make a covenant with you, right? That's the first place that my mind goes when I think of covenant. Or maybe you just know, well, I know there's an old one. I've heard there's a new one, right? We think of it as like, it's a promise. That's what it is. It's a promise that God made. Well, I, what I wanna do today is I wanna give us a quick biblical overview of covenant and what it is. And then I want to slow down around one story, one covenant story, so we know how to use it in our everyday lives, to, to live in covenant. So, so here is this, this quick overview. What is a covenant? Well, a covenant is a partnership that God makes with man. A simple way of putting it. It's a partnership between God and man. And we know that God, uh, his design was for partnership with mankind. And this partnership had one goal in mind. He wanted to bless the entire earth. That was the plan in the garden, that he would make a partnership with man. And that then he could, through man, he could bless the whole earth, the whole world, right? And so um, a covenant, we, in a covenant, I have a good image here. We see two parts in a covenant that God makes. Um, and I love, this is actually an image from Bible Project. If you guys know Bible Project, I would say, hey, this would be really fun. As Kevin and I introduce these words, go check out the Bible Project around these words. But this is just pulled from them. A covenant is, we see God and man in partnership. And there's two parts. There's a commitment side in a promises side. And the commitment side is the, the like part that man is responsible for. And the promises is God's side, right? So there are two parts to it. And in the Old Testament, we see four covenants that God made, partnerships he made with mankind. So here's another image. The first one God made was with Noah. And this is stories in Genesis 12, if you want to go back and look at it. And here's the interesting thing about the covenant with, with Noah is there were actually no commitments on man's side. It was all promises, and God promised that he would never destroy the earth again, that he would never come down and destroy all of mankind again. That was the first one. The second promise is there with Abraham. And the, uh, with this one, God promised that he would come and he would give Abraham descendants and that he would give him land, lots of land, wealth. And the commitment part was that, um, that, that uh, Abraham, remember that they would uh, come under covenant, that they would be uh, people of circumcision. But the commitment part on his part was that they would trust God. He would trust God and he would do what's right before God. That was Abraham's um, covenant. And then Israel is that is the descendants of Abraham. It's the whole nation of Israel. And again, God came and he made, uh, uh, made a covenant with them. And the, the commitment on that end also was that they would trust God and they would train up their families to do right, that they would hold on to that, that um, part of theirs, a circumcision part. And then the promises of God on that part was that he would be their God and they would be his people. And the blessing that they would be a special people for God and bless the whole earth through him, that was the plan the rest of the world. Um, and the commitment part and with Israel, remember the 10 commandments, Exodus 19 and 20, that he gave them all, the, this is how we're going to live in covenant. These are the commitments on your part that he gave Moses on Mount Sinai. And then the last covenant that we see in the Old Testament was King David. And King David, um, God came in 2 Samuel and made a promise to him. And he said, listen, you are going to have a son who will be on the throne forever. I'm going to establish a reign through your through your family line, 
we can see this, this was Jesus really that was meant to be, then and I'm gonna establish this promise that, that he would then go and bring the kingdom of blessing to the whole earth. That was the promise. And again, the commitment on King David's part was that he would obey God's laws and do what's right. So on both and all the rest of those, we have a commitment and promises in play. And it sounds simple and straightforward. God was just like, listen, this, this, I'm gonna lay it out before you. Here's what I'm gonna do. Here's what you do, right? And we would think the reward was so good that yeah, like just go out and do what he said, guys. It's simple, right? But we could see every time, time after time after time that 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 the human side failed, failed to keep the laws, to follow the ways, to do what was right, to just live in that lane that God set up for them. Every time we see the human partner failed. So I want to slow down around one specific covenant that we see here. I want to slow down and look at Abraham's covenant because Abraham is our father of faith. And that we can see that how God interacted with him actually translates to our lives today, that there's intention there for our lives today. So I want to slow down and I want to look at Abraham's story and I want to see what type of partnership, what kind of partnership that we today have with God. And so we're going to pick up Abraham's story in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15. And so there's a Bible in front of you if you want to pop that open because we are going to be doing some chunks of scripture today um, or on your phone and some of it should be up here. But in Genesis 15, God appears to Abraham and he gives Abraham some outrageous promises of blessing. Outrageous promises. It was nothing that in this moment in his imagination could dream up would be possible for his life. And it starts in this, in verse five, where he comes to Abraham and and this is what it says. It says, he took him outside. God took Abraham outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So he took him outside and he was like, look at Abraham, you have no kids right now, but I'm going to give you so many kids, so many descendants. And he's like, look up to the stars, look up to the stars. And I love this about God. He's like, count them if indeed you can, right? Like, and I think this is so funny about God. Like, yeah, you, I know you can't count them, right? Like, but I'm putting this in front of you. Like, count them. Go ahead, count them if you can. And I, I believe that in this moment, God is just showing us that human capacity can't begin to calculate the riches of God's blessing. That he's like, go ahead, I dare you. Like, go ahead and try to see how outrageously, extravagantly good, how, how numerous my blessings are gonna be for you. Go ahead, like, look up and try to count them if you can, right? And then God says, but there's more. There's more. Not only am I gonna fulfill this desire in your heart, this thing that is impossible without me, but here's more. He says to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So he promises land, lots and lots and lots of land. And so here's what is super important about this moment in history in this story is that at this very moment, when God is standing in front of Abraham and making these promises of blessing, there is no evidence, no evidence of possibility of these things coming to be. I, I, I can't like highlight this enough. No evidence. Like we are a people of evidence, but at this point, Abraham and his wife are too old. They are barren. That ship has sailed, right? So no possibility of descendants as many as stars in the sky. And at the same time, he's a nomad. 
He's a wanderer. He doesn't have land to inherit. He hasn't, he's not staying in the family land that he could just see, oh yeah, I can see how this would be a possibility in the future. I can point to some evidence and see how, oh, this might happen for that to come to be, for these promises to come to be. So right in the midst of no evidence, God is telling Abraham, I am going to be so good to you. What's coming down the road, my blessings, my promises, they are outrageous, over the top. What's coming in your future is impossibly good. Main point of this little bit, impossibly good, no evidence. And so the story goes on and we find out that Abraham actually believed God. He did, he believed God. But this is so interesting. Even though he believed God, look at what happens in verse eight. Abraham says, he says, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And I love this question. It's such a human response. Like, but how can I know for sure? Like, okay, I believe you, but how can I really know? Like, that's what he's asking. Like, how can I know for sure? And I think this is such a good question. He wants to know, like, oh, okay, how can I know that I can actually stand a bank on this truth? Like, I, I get it. It's like, it, it's almost like I can hope for that. It's like that wishful thinking, or maybe in the back of your mind, we're like, this might happen. I think, I think this is going to happen. But he wants to know what we want to know. How can we know for sure that you're going to do what you said? I love that he had the audacity to ask God that question. But it, it's, it's something that we wrestle with, guys. I, I wrestle with it. I hear people all the time wrestling. How can I know for sure? How can I really know that God's going to do the things that he said he was going to do? Because just like God gave Abraham, go ahead, try to count those stars, God has given us outrageous promises. He's given us over-the-top, extravagant hope for blessing in the future. I just pulled a couple, but this book is full. Like, if there is something that just bubbles out over it, it's promises of God, is it not? Promises of impossible things. Like, look at 2 Corinthians 9.8. It says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's, that's a lot of alls in there, is it not? I mean, that's all alls, all the time, all sufficiency, all things, all times abound in every good work. I dare you, go ahead and count the stars. That's what he's telling us in 2 Corinthians 9. Or John 14, 13. I can't get my mind around this one. I can't begin to calculate this one. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. This is Jesus, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Uh, where's the evidence, right? Like, come on, like, this is outrageous over the top. Romans 8.28, we know this. We know this one, it's on our fridge, right? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And it goes on to say, now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation we will to separate us from the love of God. Outrageous, over the top, extravagant promises. And in the end, we know we're gonna have, it's the eternal life. It's a crown of glory. It's a crown of righteousness that will reign with him, that we're co-heirs with Christ. Like guys, it, this is amazing things that God has said to us. It is just like go count the stars Go count the stars, those, how many descendants you're going to be, right? And I look around and I feel like, too, I have no evidence of these things, right? Like God is saying, all sufficiency, 
well, I sure feel insufficient in a lot of things, right? He says these things and it's like, I have no evidence. I can look at my life and I can say, God, there's no evidence that these circumstances are ever going to change. There's no evidence that you're going to heal. There's no evidence that you're going to redeem this situation. There's no evidence that you're going to restore that relationship. There's no evidence that this habit is I'm going to ever overcome, that I'm ever going to be an overcomer in these things, right? I mean, we can look across our lives and we can see weakness and discouragement and, and disability instead of ability. And it looks pretty bleak out there in the future too, doesn't it? I mean, it looks pretty bleak. Let's be honest. So back to our story in Genesis 15, because we're going to see how God answers this question. This question that Abraham holds before God is how he's going to answer our question today. How can I know for sure? How can I know? How can I know these things? How he answers is how he's going to answer us. Because here's the deal, guys. I want to set this up. Everything that happens in the rest of the story is an answer to this question. That's what God's doing. He's saying, I want you to know. I want you to know for sure. And so he's going to do something very crazy. So here's what happens. All right, I'm going to read a little chunk of this story, and I'm going to pick it up in um, seven just to remind us where we are. Okay, so he says to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. Abraham asks, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give you this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. And he goes on to describe the land. So again, this is an answer to, to Abram's question, how will I know for sure? And God answers in a really unusual way if you're trying to track this story. And he tells them, he's like, here's the answer, how you know your future will happen, go get me some animals. And he lays out which ones he wants. And uh, Abraham goes and he gets the, the animals and he, he cuts them apart and lays out the halves side by side opposite each other. Now in this day, um, this was actually a really common, common practice. This was, um, they were making a blood covenant. And this was, it's strange to us, but again, like normal. This is what they did in this day. And two parties that were coming into agreement, they would do this. They would take an animal and they would cut it down its backbone and lay the pieces out and they'd make a path and they would hold hands and they would walk through the pieces of the sacrifice of the animals that are laying on the ground and they would recite the terms of the agreement or the covenant together. And as they were doing this, as they were walking through these pieces and they were reciting the, the terms, what they were saying to each other is that we are bound by death to hold to this agreement. That if either one of us 
if we don't fulfill the terms of this agreement, if we aren't faithful to this agreement, let me be torn in pieces, just like this animal is. It was a super clear visual. I will be torn apart. I am bound by death to fulfill what we just agreed to fulfill, right? It symbolized a contract. It was actually bound in death. Let it be done to me as it's done to these animals if I don't fulfill this. And so Abram does his part. He gets the five animals, lays them apart, and, uh, and then he waits. And he's waiting, and he's waiting, and these birds are coming, these vultures are coming, and he's shooing them off the pieces, right? And it gets dark, and then it gets a little crazy. This word gets a little crazy. God comes and actually puts Abraham to sleep. And he puts him to sleep. And as he's sleeping, Abraham sees this vision. And he sees this, he calls it a, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch that they appear and walk through the pieces. Now in the Old Testament, fire and smoke, uh, the cloud, these all symbolize the Shekinah glory of God, the actual presence of God himself. And so what happens is, is Abraham sees in this moment that God himself without Abraham is passing through the pieces of this covenant. I love this. This is such a crazy thing because Abraham is on the side sleeping and God himself is walking through these pieces. He's holding his own hand and he's reciting the terms of the covenant. And he's saying, I am bound by death to fulfill the promises that I have made to you, Abraham. He's saying, if I don't fulfill, if there is any failure on part of this, of this, this partnership with you, let me be torn in pieces. Let my blood be shed, right? And so here he is, God himself, God alone is saying, I am taking on both sides of this partnership in this moment. I am taking on the commitment side and I am taking on the, the punishment of failure and I'm taking on the promise side all alone, all by myself. Abraham is sleeping. Abraham, you have no part in fulfilling this covenant. You cannot participate in this covenant. Covenant Only God, this is a one-sided covenant that God is making with Abraham, the father, our father of faith. So fast forward 2,000 years. We're going to hyperlink here to, to the cross, to Jesus on the cross. What happened on that cross? Jesus's body is torn in pieces, right? That's the language that we see, that his blood is shed. And in this moment, Jesus, 2,000 years later, is fulfilling this covenant. He is fulfilling the punishment or the curse side that God took on. God himself on that cross is paying for the failure on man's part to keep his side. That's what's happening on the cross. That's what's happening. God himself is bearing the punishment. Just like the God who put Abraham to sleep and walked through the pieces alone, Jesus on the cross is walking through the pieces to fulfill the promise that he made in that moment 2,000 years earlier. It is amazing. It's why Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. What he's saying is in this moment, I have fulfilled that old covenant with all of its requirements, all of the commitments, so that now all that's left is the promises and the blessings of unconditional love, of extravagant, over-the-top grace, goodness, mercy. That's what's coming through in this moment. That's why Jesus said at Passover, that's why he said, I, here's the cup, it is poured out. It's the new covenant. In my blood, you need a new one because the old one is finished. The old one is fulfilled in this moment. 
That's what was happening on the cross. Jesus, God himself, absorbing the curse so that we as covenant people, all that we have left is to receive the blessing, to receive the promise, to receive the unconditional love. No more conditions for it, right? So that we would have the security of the blessing that was promised. Does that make sense? God wanted Abraham to know what kind of partnership we have. Let me show you, Abraham. Let me make it really clear what kind of partnership we have. Here's the relationship that that you are going to have with me and all of the kids that come behind you, including us. Here's the relationship that we're going to have. God alone walks through the pieces. I'm putting you to sleep. I couldn't make it any clearer. He alone takes on the terms and commitments so we can receive the promises. Remember this image of God there. So the commitments side is is covered, isn't it? All that's left, all that's left is the surety, the security of the promise side because God took care of the commitment side. So what this means for us, you guys, this is, is, we've got to get a hold of this because this is our reality. What this means for us is that God bypassed our self-effort. He bypassed our ability. He bypassed, uh, you know, what, what we could figure out, what we could get, what we could do, what we could accomplish. He bypassed that so that we could, he could keep, we bypassed all the requirements so he could keep the blessings, the promises secure. That means the actions of God, the blessing of God, the outrageous and ultimate good of God the future victory, the fulfillment of it, they are not any longer limited to our self-effort, our ability, our, 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 you know, our, our trying to keep the requirements, the evidence of the requirements, all of those things have been covered. It's amazing. It's brilliant. So now the source of uh, the security of future blessing, the how can I know that you are going to fulfill the other side, the promises, the things that you have said, they are safely and securely fulfilled, you guys, in God alone, in God alone. It's amazing. That means God's good, good plans for me, for church, for humanity, for our, our nation, that they are securely sealed. They've already been purchased. Oh, That is an amazing thing. So now we live, you guys, now we live with a place to drag our worries and our wonderings and our questions and our ponderings and and how do I know for sure questions. We have a place to drag all those. We drag them under covenant. That's where we put them. That's where they're answered. How do I know that that this circumstance will be okay? Let me give you a fresh example from from my life. So I am just digging into the scripture this week and I'm like just going after like covenant and what it means. And I'm, I'm, you know, praying into it for my life and I'm thinking about it. And in the midst of all of that, I had this brilliant circumstance come forward to, to get to see if I could really like, you know, take this thing to heart. Um, and so my daughter, Anna, our youngest, um, in the beginning of the summer broke her foot and um, thank you guys. Some, some of you guys have been praying for her and she broke her foot and uh, got in a boot, walking boot and they said, come back in a couple of weeks. And the hope was that the bones, you know, were starting to heal and that we could get out of the boot. And uh, we went back a couple of weeks later and the bones weren't fusing. And so he was like, okay, you know, four more weeks in the boot, come back. And so she would go back four weeks later and went back four weeks later and those bones still weren't fused. And so we just kind of thought like, oh, your bones, it's just slow. It's just a slow process. That's okay. 
And so anyways, we, a couple weeks ago, took her to Phoenix, to Grand Canyon University. It's her first year there. We dropped our baby off at school, and we knew that um, she needed to follow up with medical care and that she was going to go this last week and get another x-ray. And we had all these expectations that they're just going to say, go, like, get out of the boo, run free, child, run free, right? And um, so she went to this doctor this week and um, called us late in the week and just with terrible news that those bones just are not fusing. They're just not coming together. It's called a, what's that, a non-union, a non-union. So we're realizing, you know, she may have weaker bones than we thought. So she called and it, this news just sent me into like an emotional spiral. And I just started this burden, like this heaviness of, worry and concern and the fact that I can't fix it. I am all the way in Chicago and she is all the way in Phoenix. And I just started in on these like, oh man, like started thinking about how is she going to handle like follow-up appointments and like, you know, when is she going to have to have surgery and when would she have surgery and what would that recovery be like? And how's, how is her heart? How is she going to like stay faithful to God? Like she's disappointed. How is she going to be okay? Her relationship with him is on the line. And then her grades, like how much class is she going to have to miss? And what will her professor, like, I'm just like, I need to contact this person. I need to, you know, I'm like, I'm like worrying fear. And like, it just was heavy. It was heavy, heavy, heavy on me. And so I'm thinking about you know, this, I'm in the word and I'm prepping for, for Sunday and, and I'm, I'm like, okay, you know, here's what I want to know. How can I know for sure that this is going to be okay? That's the, the bottom line. I needed to know, how do I know for sure that this is going to be okay, that she's going to be okay, that this is going to be good? And so, because I was in the word so much, because I've just been bathing in it, I did what I, what I know to do and I ran to Google. <laughs> I did, right to Google. And I did my best Google searching. I gave it my whole heart. My heart was devoted to Google. And I searched, I researched. True story. True, true, true. Yep. Facebook groups. <laughs> you know, like, where is the answer? Because I want to know for sure. I want to know for sure this is going to be okay. So Google, please, let me know this is going to be okay. Right? You guys, I'm doing this like for, for I don't know how long. <laughs> I don't even know. I would, don't, I don't want to know how long. And then I, all of a sudden I was like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh, my humanity, right? And then I felt this invitation from the Lord. Molly, take these wonderings. Take these questions. Take the worry. Take what you need to know and drag it under covenant. Pull it with everything you have into Genesis 15. Put out the pieces on the ground like Abraham did. Put out the pieces. Go ahead, expose all of your heart and put it all out on the ground. And then he comes as the God who, to Abraham, before Abraham, he is the God who walks alone among the pieces. He's the one who shows up among the pieces all by himself, all alone, without any other, you know, let me put you aside, let me put you to sleep here. You have nothing to do with me fulfilling what I said. And there he is, and he shows up again with this truth and this reality that he is bound by death to fulfill the promises, that he is bound himself by death to come and promise to fulfill the goodness that he said, that somehow, Somehow great is your faithfulness, God, right? Somehow in the end that he is going to redeem, that he is going to restore, that he is able to cover, that he is able to fulfill. I think, oh my goodness, this is what we need to do, you guys. We need to drag all the 
again, right under covenant. Defined our relationship with him. He called it a covenant relationship. But we cut out the covenant, don't we? And we fill it in with something else. Maybe it's just a casual relationship. Maybe it's a when I feel like it relationship. Maybe it's a a relationship based on reason, logic, evidence. We have to keep the covenant in the relationship because that is how he defined it. This is the partnership I have with you. Just like the one, a father of our faith with Abraham. Let me show you, let me show you. I'm the God who walks among the pieces. Guys, we have to keep this scene so, so, so fresh in our minds. We have to continue to expose our heart and our circumstances to it again and again and again. He didn't change the story. He carried it over after he fulfilled it. And now what comes through is just the blessings of our good God, the promises to be fulfilled that we get to watch unfold This is the relationship we have with God. This is the one we are in with the one who walks among the pieces. And so I want to pray over us today. And I want us to catch fresh vision of this God alone, standing alone among the pieces, walking among the pieces to to fulfill the promise. And I want us to just ask this, do I really need to worry another minute? Do I really need to wonder if eternity is waiting for me? Do I really need to fear that I matter to God? Do I really need to wonder for another second if he is going to end up actually being good in this circumstance and in this situation? That's what I want us to wrestle to the ground this morning with this God who walks among the pieces because I believe like Abraham that God wants us to know for sure. He wants to answer us so personally like he did with Abraham and all of our wonderings with the truth of his covenant. And I'm gonna pray that over us as a proclamation. And I believe like just as we sing it, that greater revelation and understanding of Jesus our all in all is gonna come forward. And I believe it's gonna bring rest to our hearts. That in so many ways that God in his sovereignty wants to rest us like he did Abraham. He wants to rest us so we have a view of the way that he, f- he is fulfilling and he will fulfill and what he has fulfilled. I believe today he wants us to get a greater view of him as the one who walks among the pieces. And so in our circumstances, I really believe he wants to rest our hearts so we can see his faithfulness, his faithfulness, his faithfulness. And so God, here we are as your covenant people. And we take that definition, that adjective, and we we put it over our relationship with you. You defined the relationship that you want to have with us, the partnership you want to have with us, and you called it covenant. And you showed us what covenant is like. You showed us how you come and You do it all to safely and securely protect the promises and the good plans that you have. And we see in the big picture, we see how you just over and over again, how you've always come through. And we just say over our current situations, you will come through again. You will come through again. You're the fulfiller. You're the promiser. You're the promise keeper. You're the promise maker. You're the promise fulfiller. 
so God, here we are. We just expose our hearts again, all the sides of our hearts again. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is just gonna come as we expose our hearts, guys. This is our part. We expose our hearts. That he comes to define covenant over you. He comes to make covenant real. He comes to speak covenant in your language, in your circumstances. And I just feel a sense of just surrender over us as a people. It's kind of like a waiting, a restful waiting but in expectation and in hope. Come more, Holy Spirit, just come more. So this morning, God, we lean fully on your goodness. You are outrageous, you are extravagant. It's almost like foolishness to believe, it is. It's like foolishness to believe how good you are and what you'll do and what you'll accomplish and what you'll fulfill for us. But God, we want to let our hearts just be a little foolish this morning before you. We want to let our hearts be foolish in what we believe you for, what we trust you for. We say it doesn't have to be reasonable. It doesn't have to be reasonable. We want to go farther. We want to go farther in this covenant relationship with you guys. Just tell them, tell them in your own words, in your own heart. I want to go farther in, God. I want to go farther in. I want to know the mysteries of this covenant relationship with you.